Hello and welcome to the First Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. We're glad you joined us this week. First Lutheran Church lives by the mission statement, called by the Spirit, we serve Christ, sharing God's love with all. And we are glad to share this good news with you this week. Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Through the raising of Lazarus, Jesus offers the world a vision of the life to come, when death and weeping will be no more. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus said, and then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I invite the children to come up for a short message. Ben and William, I'm so glad you're here. Ooh, I have, did I, here, you all can have a seat. I think I left my marker. Oh, well. Well, you all, I saw you not long ago in Sunday school, and we talked about uh, gratefulness, didn't we? Remember, gratefulness is just us being thankful. It's us saying thank you. To anyone? Well, as Christians, though, we are called to say thank you to God. All of the good things that you all have in your life are gifts from God. Now, do you all like receiving gifts? What do you, what do you say when someone gives you something? 
Thank you, always. Very good job, Ben. You always say thank you. And so I want you all this month, every day with your family, when you say prayers, I want you to say something very simple. Just say, thank you, God, for, and then I want you to fill in the blank. So I want you all each day to find something else, something new that you can thank God for. Okay, now, Ben and William, remember what this was called? The gratitude gourd. So this month, this is gonna be in the, in the Nave Lounge out there, and people are gonna come and write things that they're, that they're grateful for. Because November is kind of the month of thankfulness. Now, some of the students, some of the, there's a, one of our high schoolers wrote teachers and counselors. That's something they're thankful for. One of the confirmation kids wrote friends and family. This one says, one of the other confirmation kids wrote, I'm thankful for my friends, especially with my two, my two friends who are dealing with serious stuff but are still happy. So I want you all, if I had my marker, I was probably afraid to put it in my robe that it would, it would come uncapped and make my pocket black. But I want you all to, to tell me something that you want to say thank you to God for, and then I will write it on this pumpkin. So what's something that you're thankful for? All the food you have. You're thankful for your mom yeah you all have so many blessings in your life and i am so glad that you all can share your thankfulness to god for those gifts okay so like i said each day you all i want you to say thank you god for something new okay so right now though <clears throat> let's fold our hands and close our eyes and i'd like you to repeat after me Good morning, God. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. All right. You two awesome guys can head back to your seats. Thank you for coming up. Aha. There's the marker. <laughs> Well, today we celebrate All Saints Day, sometimes called the Memorial Day of the Church. But it's a day in the life of the Church that is set apart to remember our loved ones who have died and also to celebrate a God who has power over that death. In our secular world, there is a lot of church lingo that is not widely known or understood, but the term saint is universally known as someone who is set apart because they've done some very, very good things. And we all are familiar with those well-known saints, uh, Saint Jude or Saint Christopher, Saint Francis of Assisi, and then there are the the three favorite saints of the 1970s, Saints Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> in one month, our church will lift up and recognize Saint Lucia. 
um, a beloved saint of the Swedish Lutheran Church, and we'll hear more about that on December 13th. All of these people have remarkable stories. They lived extreme lives. It wasn't just average prayer or fasting or service or scripture. It was extreme prayer or extreme service. We don't hear about the stories of these people doing those simple, ordinary things like making dinner or filling up the gas tank. They were extreme Christians. So how did these people get the STs in front of their name, their sainthood? Well, in the first century, the practice was uh, uh, to become a saint was by acclamation, kind of a spiritual popularity contest, where the community decided by popular vote who would be considered a saint and then elevated to that role. Centuries later, the church that formed the Catholic Church, or as I like to call them, the original flavor of Christianity, they developed a step-by-step -step process of a pathway to sainthood. And so the first step to becoming a saint is that a person had to die. And then their community would recommend that that person uh, should be a saint, and then the local bishop would begin a formal review process. And it would include theologians and historians. And then if, in the next stage, if they passed that, the, the application for that person would go to the formal group in Rome, the Congregation of the Causes of Saints. Uh, it was a, a formal group appointed by the Pope. They would review the life of that person and determine if they had heroic sanctity, a term very, very few of us would ever even deign to consider. Uh, these would be, to, could be considered, uh, have heroic sanctity. They would have had to live lives of, of virtue and have certain expectations that they would live up to. And if they passed that step, the Pope would then declare that person venerable. And then they would have the the next step, which was a test for a miracle, to see if a miracle could be attributed to that person. Now, the, the Catholic Church uh, understands that it is God who performs the miracle, but the saint kind of gives them an assist, kind of like in basketball or hockey. So this is an exhaustive process. Uh, it includes uh, to determine whether the miracle is true, and it includes even non-religious skeptics that study and discuss whether this miracle truly happened. And if they pass this step, that person is declared blessed. And then there's another miracle that they have to have been had attributed to them. And eventually, after years of study and discernment, that person is declared by the Pope a saint. As you can imagine, many do not make the cut because these people have lived extraordinary lives of service to the Lord or uh, service to the poor or to others. Some have even been martyred. And this seems unattainable for the average Christian. But what about us? Uh, one of Martin Luther's more famous sayings is that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. And it's often far easier to accept our title um, as sinner than it is to accept our title as saint.
Because what does scripture even say about our sainthood? Well, first of all, nowhere in the New Testament does the term saint refer to a select type of Christian or a Hall of Fame kind of collection or a, an MVP type of Christian. Instead, the term saint in scripture refers to a whole community of believers. When Paul addresses the people in Rome, the first, first few verses of the book of Romans, he says, to the saints in Rome. Or he does the same when addressing the communities in Corinth, to the saints in Corinth. They were not all extreme believers, but average people who simply said yes to God. Scripture shows us that that sanctity or, or to be a saint is a gift, a promise that is given to us in baptism, making us witnesses to God's amazing grace. In the, uh, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, is the verse. Uh, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set out before us. Here, now, in this place, uh, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses here in this realm, too, that are called to support and care for one another in our work for God. That is the sainthood at work. You are no doubt familiar with a uh, triathlon, which is a competition that includes uh, swimming, biking, and running. Well, recently I learned a little bit more about the Ironman triathlon. And that includes 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of biking, and then a marathon, so 26.2 miles of running. And an athlete must complete this in one day. I read about a race that took place in Canada. And the athletes, they start at 7 a.m. And they must complete the whole course by midnight of that day. If they are even one second past midnight, they would be disqualified or given the mark DNF, did not finish. Well, one of the common practices with this particular race is that, uh, up in the British Columbia, is that after an athlete would complete the race, they would clean up, they would rehydrate, and then they'd go back and cheer on the remaining athletes competing in the, in the triathlon. Well, one particular year, there was the, the last athlete, the remaining athlete who, had, uh, who was at 11.45 still had two miles to, to run. He was the last competitor in that race. And uh, now they're at the end of this very long race and uh, a, a, a regular runner might think it'd be easy to run two miles in 15 minutes. Not the average person, but a, pretty, a trained athlete could. But at the end of a long day of racing, that's an incredible pace to try and keep up. Uh, and so many thought there's, there's no way, no way he could, he could finish in time and not be disqualified. But when the commentator uh, mentioned that he was the last runner and that he was just two miles out, a number of those who'd already completed the race cut back and tried 
to find him, to cheer him on. Now, the, ra- the way the, the race path was laid out is that there is a bin just near the end of the race. And so one of the spectators saw that last runner coming around the corner, and behind him was a wall of athletes that were cheering him on. Now, they couldn't run the race for him, but they were there to inspire, to push, to cheer, and to encourage him. That is what the sainthood looks like. It is a great cloud of witnesses, people, ordinary people, who have witnessed God's amazing love and grace, running with perseverance this race that is set out before us. And it's something that we cannot do by ourselves. In our gospel today, the raising of Lazarus, two critical things happen. The first is that Jesus commands Lazarus to come out. And the second, he also commands the community to unbind him. Here's what I find so striking about this scene. Jesus performs what could be considered one of the most significant miracles. But he also instructs and expects the crowd to participate in and actually complete the miracle. And both of these things matter. It is Jesus who has the power to heal and to feed and to restore, to bring to life and to redeem. But at the same time, Christ seeks to involve us in those actions and indeed even expects us to complete them. Which has me wondering, what other miraculous things does God intend to do in our communities, in us, with us, and through us? Perhaps some of the things, the miracles that God calls us to do would be, um, would be huge miracles, directing our efforts to end hunger in our community, which is possible. Or maybe it's providing shelter for homeless people or providing a shower. Maybe some of the things that God is calling us to do would be smaller things, like lending a a listening ear to a colleague or a friend who's struggling or feels alone. Either way, God wants, I believe, to continue to do miraculous things and continues to want to do them in, with, and through us. And this is a powerful message for All Saints Sunday. Saints, as you know, are not just those who have died. Rather, saints are those who have been declared holy and set apart. And at this point, let's be clear, that declaring holy is God's work, not ours. That is, we are holy not because of some inherent quality, or because of what we have done, but simply because of what God has done, and because God calls us holy. So there is a, so is there a step-by-step process of how to be holy, or how to become a saint? No, God shows us through scripture that something is holy simply by being set apart to do God's work. So any work we do in faith could be called holy. Martin Luther was known for a story about, uh, he he said, what makes the Christian shoemaker Christian? 
Does he, is he Christian by putting little crosses on all the shoes? Or is he a Christian shoemaker by doing so with honesty and integrity and, and doing his best to make good shoes? What makes the work in our lives holy or set apart? There is precious little, little in our life that can't be a place where God is at work to heal, comfort, and restore if we look at it this way. Last week, uh, during worship, we had a thanksgiving for baptism and also an affirmation of faith where we remember the words and promises that were made in our baptism. And next week, we are blessed to uh, be able to have Scarlet to come and be baptized here, and we will read some of these same words. And part of the baptismal liturgy or the baptismal prayer and vow is a call and commission to the community to be there to support, to cheer, and encourage that person. So last week, I asked you all, people of God, do you promise to support and care for one another and to be and pray for one another in your life in Christ? And you all said, we do, and we ask God to help and guide us. And you'll be asked to make that same promise next week. That is the work of the sainthood of God, to be together, to care for one another, to encourage one another here in this realm, and yes, in the heavenly realm, because we are not alone. We are not alone in the good times or the bad. God is, is with us through the body of Christ, loving, caring, and supporting one another. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your eternal mercies, for the grace that you bestow on each of us and the promises that you have made to be with us, to save and to love us. Bless us as your people, these saints on earth, that we might continue to do your will and continue to support our, our friends in faith. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that these words and message inspired you in your faith journey as you grow with God. We would love to see you at worship, either online via Facebook Live or in person at 1234 Southwest Fairlawn Road at 5 p.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sundays. God loves you, and so do we.